Hi, this is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema. In this month's segment, we're going to cover astral projection. Astral projection, as you probably know, is one of the most basic magical techniques and one of the most important to master as you progress on your path. Now, you've probably noticed on previous Living Thelema segments that I don't go into too much theory here, and that's intentional. I really do want this uh, series to be very practical in nature, but I think it's important to go into a little bit of theoretical detail about the nature of astral projection and indeed the nature of the astral body itself. One of the primary distinctions that needs to be made right at the outset is the distinction between the etheric body and the astral body. And one of the best ways I know to conceptualize this is to think of the tree of life itself. As you likely know, the tree of life is a symbolic representation, not only of the process of the creation of the material world, but of the component parts of the human psycho-spiritual constitution. So if you look at the way the Sephiroth on the tree successively manifest, it is evident that mind manifests before body. The Ruach, the spheres of the Ruach collectively, including Yesod, which represents subconsciousness, autonomic consciousness, um, these all manifest uh, and form sort of a template, a skeleton, if you will, for the eventual physical body's manifestation at Malkuth. So the physical world, just as the physical body of humans is built on this astral skeleton of energy, um, so is the physical world based on an astral skeleton of energy. Now, the most dense layers of this are more properly called the etheric world. And the most dense layers of our energy body, um, short of the physically manifest body, um, is the etheric body. The etheric body is an, an energy skeleton that more closely resembles the actual physical form of the body, whereas the astral level of consciousness is more like mind itself. It's more rarefied. It is capable of taking on a wider diversity of forms, not just those which are uh, more closely tied to the physical forms that are built upon it. Now, the reason I'm going to these lengths to distinguish between the astral and etheric worlds and the astral and etheric bodies is that there are distinctly different sets of practices uh, involved when you talk about astral projection versus etheric projection. And a little bit later, I'm going to go into more detail about those practices um, and give you some tips about how to get started uh, trying them out. But before I go any further, I want to do a little more on theory, but using the words of uh, Aleister Crowley in his excellent essay called Notes for an Astral Atlas, which I believe uh, most recently has appeared in Libra ABA, and you can find online, uh, and I'll put a link to that on the blog. Um, I'm going to read from this essay at length because there is so much good information there uh, to set you up to understand what you're getting into with, with astral work. Um, this is by no means the entire essay, but uh, I thought it was worth giving a good bit of time to. So here's what Crowley has to say. 
We may consider all beings as parts of ourselves, but it is more convenient to regard them as independent. Maximum convenience is our canon of truth. We may thus refer psychical phenomena to the intention of astral beings without committing ourselves to any theory. Coherence is the sole quality demanded of us. Every object soever may be considered as possessed of an astral shape, sensible to our subtle perceptions. This astral shape is to its material basis, as our human character is to our physical appearance. We may imagine this astral shape. That is, we may see a jar of opium as a soft, seductive woman with a cruel smile, just as we see in the face of a cunning and dishonest man the features of some animal, such as a fox. The variety of the general character of the planes of being is indefinitely large. But there are several main types of symbolism corresponding to the forms of plastic presentation established by the minds of mankind. Each such plane has its special appearances, inhabitants, and laws, special cases of the general proposition. Notable among these are the Egyptian plane, which conforms with the ideas and methods of magic once in vogue in the Nile Valley, the Celtic plane, close akin to fairyland, with a pagan pantheism as its keynote, sometimes concealed by Christian nomenclature, the alchemical plane, where the great work is often presented under the form of symbolically constructed landscapes occupied by quasi-heraldic animals and human types hieroglyphically, hieroglyphically distinguished, who carry on the mysterious operations of the hermetic art. There are also planes of parable, of fable, and of folklore. In short, every country, creed, and literature has given its characteristic mode of presentation to some plane or other. The general control of the astral plane, the ability to find one's way around it, to penetrate such sanctuaries as are guarded from the profane, to make such relations with its inhabitants as may avail to acquire knowledge and power, or to command service, all this is a question of the general magical attainment of the student. He must be absolutely at ease in his body of light, and have made it invulnerable. He must be adept in assuming all God-forms, and using all weapons, sigils, gestures, words, and signs. He must be familiar with the names and numbers pertinent to the work in hand. He must be alert, sensitive, and ready to exert his authority, yet courteous, gracious, patient, and sympathetic. The essence of the right sensation consists in recognition of the reality of the other being. There will be, as a rule, some element of hostility even when the reaction is sympathetic. One must therefore insist that any real appearance of the astral plane gives the sensation of meeting a stranger. One must accept it as independent, be it archangel or elf, and measure one's own reaction to it. One must learn from it, though one despise it, and love it, however one loathe it. One must realize, on writing up the record, that the meeting has effected a definite change in oneself. One must have known and felt something alien, and not merely tried on a new dress. There must always be some slight pang of pain in a true astral vision. It hurts the self to have to admit the existence of a not-self, and it taxes the brain to register a new thought. This is true at first touch, even when exaltation and stimulation result from the joy of making an agreeable contact. There is a deeper effect of right reaction to a strange self, the impact invariably tends to break up some complex in the seer. The class of ideas concerned has always been tied up, labeled, and put away. It is now necessary to unpack it and rearrange its contents. 
At least, the annoyance is like that of a man who has locked and strapped his bag for a journey, and then finds that he has forgotten his pajamas. At most, it may revolutionize his ideas of the business, like an old bachelor with settled plans of life who meets a girl once too often. Any really first-class astral vision, even on low planes, should therefore both instruct the seer and prepare him for initiation. Those failing to pass this test are to be classed as practice. So there's just some wonderful stuff in that essay, and I really encourage all of you, if you have any interest whatsoever in this topic, to read that essay um, in full and uh, repeatedly. Now, let me come back to what I was saying about the distinction between etheric and astral projection, um, because what follows will... Uh, rely on your understanding of this distinction. When you etherically project, you're going to be in a body that fairly closely resembles your physical body. And the landscape that you're exploring is going to be like um, a, an astral image of your actual physical surroundings. So an etheric projection practice or experience would have the uh, the sensation of you leaving your body and walking around the the room that you're in, the house that you're in, the neighborhood that you're in, that sort of thing. An astral projection experience would take you to likely to a landscape of some sort completely different um, from any physical surroundings that you're in, and possibly different from any uh, materially existing physical surroundings anywhere. Um, this is, again, the realm of mind itself, and mind is infinitely plastic, infinitely able to uh, shape itself into forms that uh, simply don't exist in the physical world. Now, let's start talking about techniques and tools, give you some things that you can walk away from this segment with to actually go experiment with. Um, a few procedures in general that you always want to observe. Now, Crowley emphasizes one particular point almost more than all others in his writings on this topic, and that is the importance of testing all entities that you encounter. None of these entities are going to be offended if you don't believe them um, about who they are or what they say they're trying to tell you. So you test them. You test them with signs that you may know, with uh, words such as you know, testing with do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, and they should respond accordingly. Um, AA grade signs, you can use the, you know, like the signs of the enterer and the sign of silence as a call and response sort of testing technique. You should ask any entities that appear for their name, uh, ask them to spell their name, check the gematria of that name, check the the name and the nature of the surroundings that you find yourself in to make sure that it is uh, in all its correspondences, a match for the astral realm that you're attempting to explore. For example, if you've invoked Jupiter and you're finding yourself in, um, in some sort of landscape that uh, is, is full of orange and has lots of uh, caduceuses floating around, you know, you may have, had some intrusion of mercury into the picture, and that's a problem. So it should match. You should test entities, and you should not accept um, alien influences being in the realm 
that you are exploring. If so, you made an error somewhere along the way, and Crowley says, go back and discover the source of the error and try again. Another generally useful tip is if you get into trouble, if you feel harassed by or threatened by uh, any entities, one thing you can do is enlarge yourself into a huge towering image of Rahorquit and send the entity away uh, powerfully. Um, or you could draw a large banishing pentagram and send that at the entity. There's techniques like that that um, you will develop uh, intuitively probably in your own practice that were, will be uh, parallel to those. But those are a few you can try right off the bat. Um, another common issue that arises is you get pretty deep into a vision of some kind and have trouble finding your way back to your physical body. One thing Crowley suggests on this, I'm forgetting the exact place he suggests this, is to envision yourself as um, as if you're in a giant chariot drawn by great steeds and you uh, command them to take you back to your body. So it sounds a little silly, but it works. Um, and with practice, you'll find that uh, you don't have much trouble getting back to yourself, <laughs> so to speak. In terms of preparation for astral work, it's best if you are not too full of food, especially meat, I find uh, is inhibitory. Um, also, uh, not too tired. If you are in the middle of an astral vision and you find yourself feeling fatigued, either mentally or what will feel like physical fatigue, um, it's best to end the session then rather than straining yourself in that way. It's also best in terms of preparation if you've not too recently had orgasmic release. I find that, that the energy retained by uh, not having had an orgasm too recently uh, is useful in um, this kind of work. Now, here's some experiments you can try, including the procedures that you would use along the way. Set aside you know, a good solid hour where you won't be disturbed in a quiet place, uh, preferably the temple in which you're used to working. You probably want to start with uh, basic banishing. I suggest an LBRP for this purpose, Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram. Um, for your first experiment, try etheric projection. Just settle into a relaxed posture, do some rhythmic breathing for a few moments, get as, as relaxed as you can. Then um, imagine in front of you is uh, a, a externalized energy coming out of your physical body. Shape that into a form that corresponds to your physical body. So you're sort of externalizing what would be considered the etheric body. And then try to transfer your consciousness into this uh, etheric double and begin looking around the room you're in. Begin to see with those eyes. Walk around the room. Look at objects. Go outside. Walk around in your yard. Look at objects. Um, just explore the etheric world that uh, matches the level of, of energy you've externalized and uh, see what you come up with. Then if you want to test yourself on this, 
uh, etheric level of work, you could have a friend who is in a location that you've never been to or don't know very well, but your friend can describe in some detail and etherically project to that place and see if you can then tell your friend about details that you would that you wouldn't have uh, had knowledge of um, otherwise. So that's one way to test your uh, the effectiveness of your practice there. So that's etheric projection. Let's talk about the tools of uh, astral projection, the procedures. Um, it begins much the same way. You're sitting, you've banished, you're, you're sitting, you're relaxing, and then you externalize the energy in front of you. Once again, you shape it into a double of yourself. Um, here I find that you will get better results if you see yourself robed in uh, magical garments that correspond to your to, to your highest grade or you know the uh, the type of work that you're doing if you're wanting to uh, visit a particular uh, sephira on the tree of life then you might want to robe yourself in the appropriate uh, uh, a robe of that grade and uh, you know so you design your astral double to be well fitted for the environment that you're sending yourself to um, then here's where the the difference between etheric and astral comes into play in this practice. Once you've externalized the energy, shaped it the way you want, and transferred your consciousness into the astral double, then begin to rise straight upward. Um, the purpose of this technique is to trick the mind into letting go of its hold on the physical body using the device of... Uh, physically rising higher, just the mental trick of seeing yourself rising higher. It's not necessarily that your astral body is going anywhere per se. Um, uh, it's just that you need some kind of device to, to shake up your perceptions. So rise straight up, keep going higher and higher until you find yourself in some sort of landscape. Um, that you can begin exploring. Now, before you do this, once you've arrived at your uh, so-called destination, I think it's often useful to then perform a lesser invoking ritual of the pentagram or perhaps a middle pillar ritual. In addition, basically you're energizing the, the astral body for the work um, that's ahead. Then you want to call for a guide. And as I said earlier, um, rigorously test the guide, get a name, check the correspondences, um, test with signs and words and so on, um, and then um, explore the region um, as best you can. Now, there are some ways to test this that um, are derived from techniques used in the AA. Um, now, you may know that uh, at the neophyte grade of AA, the, um, the passage of the Path of Tav the work of the path of Tav corresponds to the development of control over the astral body. So the superior of the neophyte will test the neophyte um, through various techniques, including things like um, scrying a symbol that is unknown to the person being examined, but well known to the examiner to see if they can uh, get the, the basics of, uh, of the, of the symbol, the nature of the symbol through astral means. 
you can do this yourself if you have a friend who is fairly magically adept or at least knowledgeable enough to pick a sigil or a symbol and um, know that it's it's meaningful to them, then they can give it to you. They pick something that you don't have any familiarity with. They give it to you. Um, you then scry it by seeing it blown up really large on a door of some kind, an astral door. Then you project through the door and see what you find. And presumably, if you've done well, then what you find there, the correspondences, the, the tone of the place, any information given to you by entities there will match the nature of the sigil, and your friend will be able to confirm that. Another test is to have a friend who is uh, a good enough magician to successfully invoke specific forces into a room. Um, have that friend go into the temple where you're going to be doing your astral projection scrying work and have them invoke a specific force that, and they don't tell you what it is. Then you can come in and follow these techniques I've described to rise up to a landscape that you're going to explore. And um, presumably you should be able to gather some details of the astral atmosphere there that will correspond to the force that's been invoked. So um, these would be more formally tested in AA, as I said, but uh, you can do some fun little self-tests, um, especially if you have help from a friend. Now, once you've done all the exploration that you're going to do, you dismiss your guide or the entities that you've encountered with thanks. Um, you can then uh, return to your body through whatever means you decide to use. And uh, once you're back, you know, move your muscles around, uh, really feel yourself solidly back in your body. What you don't want is what I like to think of as astral bleeding, where all of your energy has not come back to the body. Um, so be sure that this is strongly visualized and that you, um, uh, strongly feel reunited, so to speak with your physical body. You might want to, um, very mindfully give the sign of silence, um, figure yourself as Harpocrates in the egg. And, uh, uh this often has a good, uh, fortifying effect. Now, um, you also probably want to do another LBRP after you're back, um, just to be safe and to uh, come out of the whole experience without any lingering specific influence of whatever region you were exploring. Now, obviously, we're just scratching the surface here of the possible techniques you could use and different ways to uh, explore the astral worlds, but uh, hopefully this will be enough to get you started and um, perhaps stimulate you to try some experiments in these areas and see what you get. Um, as always, I welcome any comments or questions either about this material or um, questions designed for uh, potential future segments of Living Thelema. want to encourage you to visit livingthelema.com to contact me with these questions. And also you might wish to become a fan of the Facebook page for Living Thelema. I want to thank you again for listening, and I look forward to talking to you next time.